You're listening to Real Investor Radio with Craig Fuhr and Jack Bevere, where we cover advanced real estate investing topics to help you stay ahead of the curve in your real estate investing business. Well, hey, everyone. Welcome back to Real Investor Radio, the podcast for advanced investors. I'm uh, joined again by Jack Bevere. Jack, good to see you. Absolutely. Good to see you, sir. We have been having an awesome conversation with Eli Fisher from Audantic. Um, a really awesome company uh, that has been using data for real estate investors for many years now, but they've gotten it down to quite a science. And I would encourage everyone who hasn't taken a listen to the previous episode to go back and check that out and then come back to this one. Uh, Eli, welcome back to the show. Thank you, guys. It's good to have you, man. So great conversation previously. We're going to touch on some more features of the product. Uh, as well as um, sort of how the industry is changing and uh, things that uh, investors should be looking out for right now who may have been marketing uh, in, with other things like text or PPL. Um, so let's go ahead and jump in. Jack, why don't you start us off? Yeah. I um, uh, And thanks, Eli, for, for joining us. Been really enjoying the conversation. Uh, Data is a, a near and dear to my heart, and uh, I've always been a huge fan of the company, followed you guys super closely and um, consider you guys good friends. So um, by the way, like there's no affiliation just for the, those who are listening. There's no affiliation here. This isn't a commercial. I just really think this is like a really cool data product. And, and I think that it's underutilized by a lot of the industry. Uh, I think that people, though, you know, with ChatGPT are coming around more to like, hey, data is really powerful and how might I use it in my business? There's also a lot of young people who like just grew up with these ideas and it's that's just, you know, this part and parcel for them. Um, so I think that, you know, I think six years ago, Chris would be like, I go, you know, I go give a presentation and I get a bunch of blank stares and a bunch of guys who are like, I don't really get it. Wait, it's like an Excel spreadsheet and like it's, you know, it's expensive and it's an Excel spreadsheet and, and they just didn't get it. And, uh, and he gets super frustrated right with, with that, you know, understandably, because I thought it was the coolest thing ever and still do. Um, and then you guys have just added features in, on top of it that I think have made the product even more and more powerful. Um, <clears throat> so we, uh, we touched on a bunch of stuff, the core product in terms of like list building for lead generation in the last episode. And we talked about attribution and how powerful that is to, I really think, professionalizing your acquisition process um, by making sure that you, know, you can see what's happening in your market, see, you know, see actually what's happening in your market, and then see how you did versus the rest of the market. There's a scorecard every, you know, every, every quarter on that. Um, and those are two super powerful features. Another one that you guys added more recently even is uh, what you guys are calling buyer sonar. And uh, so Eli, could you tell us what that does, what, what that is? Yeah, so buyer sonar is a market intelligence tool that basically at the MSA level will tell you how many investor transactions occurred, so how many deals, and then the distribution of the investors that made up those deals. And so if you are looking to basically identify a better class of buyers, it's really important that you understand who pays the most for what type of product. And that's exactly what the system allows you to do is drill down and say, okay, I have this specific product. This is the buy box. These are all the buyers that buy that type of product. Here's what they pay. And if you understand who pays the most for that type of product, 
there's a whole host of downstream effects. You can increase your wholesale assignment fee, but more important from that is that if you think about it from the front end acquisition, how do you get a competitive advantage? Because the reality of it is the market has shifted. There's only so many properties that are gonna sell at 40, 50 cents on the dollar. And if you can only pay 40 or 50 cents on the dollar, and yet the market dictates your competitors are paying 70 cents on the dollar, that's not gonna happen. So how do you fix that? Well, you get a better class of buyer. And so if you have a better class of buyers, it's no longer incumbent for you to get that stuff deep. I mean, I'm not saying you can't. I mean, a blind squirrel finds a nut every now and then, but the reality of it is that's not how you're gonna scale a business. So I think looking forward here, buyers are a critical aspect. And it's really interesting because I haven't really seen a lot of organizations take a buyer-centric focus and just run with it. The irony of that is, is I look at the largest wholesaler in the country that does close to 30,000 transactions a year. They have been intentional from the start and they have always just curated new buyers. And we can talk about who those types of buyers are and why that organization does 30,000 transactions. And I think it's a better business model because if you have people that pay more, you can win on the front end and then you can maximize your spread. You talking about new res? Uh, no. Um, well, New Western, yeah. Oh, New Western. Sorry. I said New Res. Yeah. Sorry. New Western. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, they've always been, they, I, we encountered them when we started buying in Atlanta. They were set, started in like, I think they started in Texas, but they were like, they've been, mm -hmm. you know, dominated in the South and then they really expanded nationally from there. And they were always the most frustrating people to go up against because like they pay this, what I considered this stupid number and then yeah. they'd get out, they'd get out to 15 grand up. And I'm like, where the hell are they finding these people to buy these houses? But they, that's like you said, they, they built a machine around that and it's been tremendously successful for them. So, Hey, you know, God bless. Um, so buyer sonar, go ahead. Jack. Yeah, go ahead. So buyer sonar is, we're talking about the disposition here. Um, mm -hmm. you, you've like whole, wholesale dispositions, really wholesale dispositions, exactly. not a, not homeowners, but root investor wholesale. Yeah. And in a nutshell, it allows you to see what compet what your competitors have been able to uh, you know, basically sell the house for on the back end to make their spread. Yeah. yeah either, either they're the, like the LLC was, you know, cause maybe there's like a, a, just a, somebody who pays more than you do, right. They're a flipper, you know, a wholesaler competing with a flipper, for example, right. Like mm -hmm. maybe there's a flipper who's just pay, able to pay more than you because they've, you know, there's no middleman for them, right. They've just decided to bring it in house. Sure. That's, that's a customer. Maybe there's some newer money that's coming, you know, that's coming into the business or somebody who's just, you know, placing 1031 funds or has a million bucks to deploy. But like, you know, you want to sell to those folks while the getting's good, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and that's, that's it, it, I, this, this issue is one that's near and dear to my heart. Right. Cause you know, we'll put a property under contract and then we wholesale it and we make 10 grand on it. And you know, and, and I, 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 and my guy Brian in acquisitions is freaking awesome. He's he's the man. So this is no no dig on him, but we we always we we love, we love the spar. So he's like, hey, I sold it to so and so, and I'm and if I know so and so's name, I'm super skeptical that we didn't leave money on the table, right? Like, tell yeah. me we sold it to somebody whose name I don't know, who I've never heard of, right? Because if I know their name, then like then that's the shark. So you sold it to a shark. Like, don't sell it to the shark. Sell it to the fish. Like we're supposed to be the shark selling to the fish like that's and get the maximum spread. 
And Biosonar is is an amazing tool for that because it shows you can really kind of like it's even you guys have set it up where you can even really kind of see who the sharks are and who the fish are, you know, who's paying the highest percentage of value. Like on a particular deal, you can't, you know, can't exactly tell. But when you aggregate someone's activity, you get a decent sense of like of rankings, so to speak, as to who's paying the most. Yeah. So, So let's talk about the fish for a minute. Okay. I asked people a question. It's like. In your market, who do you think makes up the majority of investor transactions? And a common answer that I hear is like, oh, this institutional player, oh, this iBuyer. And while they do a good amount of volume, that's not who actually makes up the majority of transactions. The majority of transactions are actually made up in every MSA across the country of the small mom and pop, let's just call them the HGTV investor, okay? So when we think about that specific persona, this is an individual that on a rolling six to eight month basis does between one to three deals. On a national average, they pay 86 cents and up on the dollar. So if we happen to know from a total addressable market standpoint, these people represent the largest buying class and they just so happen to pay the most and we have this data available at our disposal, I would argue that we should probably focus on those people for our disposition. And that's why I use New Western as a business case, because they, from the very beginning, have focused on those individuals. This is the type of guy that is not recording in an LLC. This is the type of guy that probably thinks a kitchen reno costs five grand. God bless you, brother. Love you anyway. But Mm -hmm. those are the type of people that are wanting to get into the game. Those are the type of people that if you truly want to maximize your spread, you should be aggregating those people on a daily basis because if you think about it, if you constantly bring in buyers that pay a premium, what happens on the acquisition side? Well, acquisition should really be a fulfillment arm for disposition. And that's why I look historically how businesses have operated in our space and it's always acquisition gets deal, disposition moves it out. I think there's a fundamental flaw in that in that really, if you're constantly bringing buyers in, acquisition should just be a fulfillment arm for that. Mm-hmm. And, it's yeah, a, and they should be speaking to one another, basically saying, hey, look, we we have fish who are willing to pay more so that we can pay more on the front end on the acquisition side. Yeah. You know, it, it's it's funny, Jack, like it, it, the easy call would probably be to if if you've got a, a, a buyer like New Western in your back pocket and, you know, they're they're always looking for deals, they're flush with capital. That's an easy call to make. It fits their box. I'm going to get, I'm, I'll, I'll make my five to seven grand. I'm selling a Walmart, you know, the, the better call, maybe not as easy. You know, you might have to coax some of the newer, buy, some of the newer buyers through the process and, but you're always going to make better money, better margin with guys like that. And if you're not, and, and I would say like, as the market gets more and more competitive, as particularly in a low inventory environment, if you are not doing that, you're going to get beat by somebody who is right they're gonna out they're just gonna outbid you right like personality goes a certain level but like at the end of the day if you're outbid at the kitchen table the and and the other person is believable that they'll close the seller is going to probably go with that other person so um if you leave that margin on the table that's you know shame well shame on you you know sure that happens i mean if if you can pay 40 cents and i can pay 80 cents I can literally write my offer on a napkin and I'm going to win every time. And 
I think it's it's so critical that you know when people initially usually come to us for buyers, they'll see these buyers is like, well, I want the you know the guys doing fifty some odd deals. It's like, why? You're going to take a haircut on that. That makes no sense. I understand they're going to close, but there's no margin in it for you. You know that'd yeah. be like you know you go to you know one of these HGTV investors and say, hey man, I can get you something off market for ten grand in a retail. That person gets excited about that. If I go to Jack and say, hey, Jack, I can get you this off-market deal for 10 grand under retail, Jack's going to laugh and say, Eli, put a one in front of that and we'll talk. <laughs> yeah, they, a lot of those folks, you know, they, they want to they want to do a deal, right? They want to get into it. They just want to get their feet wet. They don't really care if they, they almost don't even care if they make money on the first one. They just want to like go through and like, you know, they don't, don't want to lose money, obviously, but they just want to like, you know. Figure, you know, figure out their game. processes, figure out, try this contractor out, you know, like do one so that, you know, do, and it's part of, you know, part of the experience is just getting one under their belt. And they don't want to, they don't want to sit around and wait for six months to find one that's, the, you know, appropriately priced for them, um, appropriately priced at all. Right. And they've got no acquisitions team. So it's not like, you know, just, just because they're new doesn't mean they're dumb. They may, they, they may just have different motivations. Right. So yeah. Eli, why wouldn't about- you want to sell to that guy? Talk about um, what does the user, uh, like a Jack or or whoever is using your product, what do they get in terms of the report on the buyer side? Are they getting an L, the name of the LLC and then they've got to skip trace who the owner of that is? Uh, hashtag yeah. uh, Corporate Transparency Act, Jack. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hey, by the way, those of you who haven't listened to our episode that Jack and I recorded with Doug Stein, where we talk about the Corporate Transparency Act, I would highly encourage everybody to go back and, and check out that episode because it affects anybody, essentially. Literally everybody. Everybody, <laughs> everybody yeah. that we're speaking to right now who owns uh, an LLC or multiple LLCs. You better check out that episode. But Eli, what do folks get um, in terms of the report from you all, I, I, I want to know who my, who my buyers are. Um, I, I see an LLC. Are we getting email addresses? Are we getting phone numbers, names of the folks that, that are members of the LLC? What are we getting? Yeah. So the, the goal is to give you a very robust snapshot of what that organization does. So you go into the system and you see a dashboard of all the available buyers within the market and what they actually did. So if you actually click on the buyer, we give you their whole dynamics of, okay, this is their average spread that they buy on. This is how many properties they've entered, how many have they've sold, how many they do locally in the MSA, and how many they're doing outside of the MSA. So you also understand like how big an organization this truly is. Then when you look at their individual transactions, we'll show you basically on the transaction, here's the discount relative to the estimated value. So you get a real good idea of, okay, the potential spread that these guys are willing to do. We show you if they're using agents to source deals. And then, you know, for, for lenders like you guys, um, we show you who's financing them and underwriting the deal. We can show you if this was a cash transaction that they did or if they were using hard money in that type of transaction. And so you start to really Jack, understand. Yeah, we're, we're using that data for DFS, aren't we? Yes, no? Uh, no, not on the DFS side. We use some different stuff for that. But it's, it's a really cool tool, though. It's a, it's a really cool, Very uh, cool. feature. Um, that helps you when you're talking about that buyer, you know, profile who you want to call, right? Yeah. Absolutely. And so then, does it? Once, does it you uh, know, I'm sorry, Eli. Does it tell you like the number of transactions these folks have done or are it doing? Does. It does, oh. and you can drill down to each individual transaction. 
And so the idea being is that, you know, you can enter any type of set criteria. You may say, look, I want only in Baltimore City to see anyone that paid like 90 cents and up on the dollar. And then in addition to that has done between two to four transactions or whatever the criteria that you enter in. Once you've drilled down on that, you can plot it on a map within the system. So you see exactly where their transactions are occurring. You can drill down further. And then you can export it. We've built an LLC skip trace, APIs into five different databases. I mean, the, the entity resolution layer is very robust. And so we'll show you the registered agent. We'll show you the emails and phone numbers that are associated with that organization. And at that point, you know, the organization should just pick up the phone and call those people. Um, and I've tested this personally. I've done a number of case studies on it. And it's not really a difficult conversation. And, and I can give you a couple examples, because if I saw Jack picked up 555 Baker Street, my first mm -hmm. conversation to Jack's like, hey, Jack, this is Eli. I saw you picked up 555 Baker Street. Was that your deal? Yeah. OK, cool. I also see you did 62 Adams. Jack, let me ask you a question right here. Um, are you looking for off market product? That's how you start the conversation, yeah. you know, and then you can take it a step further. You know, you, you build upon this. Like, how do we, we curate this interest? Well. Because you have the emails of these individuals, you take their most recent transaction. If you're going to send them an email, you put that as the subject line, question mark. So, Jack, if I send you an email that says 62 Adams, question mark, and that was your most recent transaction, are you going to open that email? It's super high open rate, I'm sure. I would probably put, you just bought 62 Adams, Jack, and then I know he would open it at that point. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so this is how, you know... It's not necessarily difficult to reach out and engage these individuals. Um, you just have to have the validity of having the data because if you know their business inside and out, you understand their buy blocks, they're going to take your conversation pretty serious because it's like, mm -hmm. oh, this guy, he seems to know more about my business. I don't know how he knows this. Mm -hmm. Whatever he's doing, he's probably dialed in right here and it's probably worth my time to have a conversation with. I've always thought that the best wholesalers know their buyers' uh, business better than they do. And I actually have friends yeah. in, around the country who, they call it reverse wholesaling, where you basically go out and find the buyer first, you find out what their buy box is, and then you just go out and target the crap out of that buy box. And you've got a ready uh, buyer right there, right? Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, it's great stuff. So is 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 buyer sonar... Um, sort of part of the standard suite that, uh, you know, a user like Jack at Dominion gets, or is that sort of an add-on product for you guys? No, it, it, it's included. Um, I always let people know, think of us as a holistic solution in that we give you best-in-class data on the front end from the acquisition standpoint, so you can pick mm -hmm. up that deal. But then how can I help maximize your spread? Well, I can do that in two ways. One, the attribution aspect of it to help you improve your conversion at the marketing stage, as well as the acquisition stage to understand where the fallout happens in that. Then on the back end right here with the disposition, if I can empower you to connect with a best-in-class buyer that will pay the premium, these are the three steps that we can utilize to help you maximize your spread on a deal. And so it's actually included in some part of the system. That's great. Yeah, super cool. All right. You want to, um, there was one other topic we wanted to, to jump into that I was a little, that I was ignorant on. And I was, uh, you you and Craig were talking prior to the, uh, prior to us getting started. I'm really interested in that. Could you, uh, explain to us what the changes in the industry are? Um, back, I guess we're, you know, 
uh, rewind a year or so in terms of like you know the texting and the FCC's actions on that stuff, and then and bring yeah. us up to date and what's about to happen, which was I was really I was I was unaware, so I'm excited to share this information. Yeah. So for for the people that are listening to this podcast, I see a unique opportunity that's currently available within the market to gain more market share. The reason I say that is because there's a whole host of competitors, and let's call them what they are. You're small, not sophisticated wholesaler. You know, the guy that watched a YouTube video that thinks he's going to be sitting on a beach and getting checks in his, in his mailbox. Um, it's not reality, but that dream is sold on a daily basis. So if we think about those types of individuals, there's probably two channels that were very prevalent for them. And the first was texting. So we saw, you know, up until about August of this last year, guys were just blasting out text messages. Now, there had been what was called the 10 DLC regulations. And a lot of people think that that was actually like a law. It wasn't. 10 DLC was basically a industry standard that was put in place by the large wireless carriers. And the reason why that was put in place is if you understand what 10 DLC was in 10 DLC.org, that's actually a lobbying function for the wireless carriers to prevent federal regulation saying that, okay, we're going to regulate ourselves and these are the standards of how we're going to regulate texting. Most people never even bothered to go to 10DLC.org and actually read what the regulations stated around texting. In particular, it basically stated that you can't really be doing cold texting. People have to opt in to be receiving these types of texts and you also have to include language to allow people to opt out. So for the last couple of years, Nobody was adhering to that. So you'd have these providers and these wholesale users were just blasting out text. Well, something interesting happened. In August, carriers started putting strict enforcement into place. And you literally saw texting almost die overnight mm -hmm. because all of a sudden there was a compliance layer that needed to be occurring within the industry. And I'll tell you a funny story about that, of why this, why this happened. So. I live out in Redmond, Washington, right next to T-Mobile's U.S. headquarters. So we do a barbecue bus stop at the beginning of the school year. And one of the individuals that lives in my neighborhood is an executive at T-Mobile. We start talking about texting. And he doesn't know that I work in the real estate industry, but he talks about, you know, they've qualified a certain group of users that are sending texts. And what they call them is nuisance industries, meaning mm -hmm. they're just a headache. We don't make any money off of them and they are a pain for a user experience. So we're taking steps to eliminate that pain. And now you see the strict enforcement. And so now texting is not really a viable channel for people that are trying to do cold outreach. So that pretty much died up overnight. And so then that opened a gap in the market. Because if you think about it, there was all this noise that was in the system, people sending all these texts. Well, that kind of disappeared overnight. 2021 so, was crazy. I just got blasted all year long, right? Mm -hmm. like, yeah. So now that that market share is opened up, well, what happened with those wholesalers that were using that as their primary channel of marketing? Well, they didn't ever have the capital to do direct mail and they didn't have the ability to set up robust cold call. So what we saw in the data is there's this actually big shift over to PPL, pay per lead. And so the, the effect of that was all of a sudden these PPL leads, they started getting really bid up. So they're almost accelerating their own demise because they're just bidding up the cost of PPL and getting a diminished return on that. What are, something really what are some examples of what are some examples of PPL like that you you know uh, that the, the listener can relate to 
Yeah, so uh, think of it like a, a website, like a need to sell my home fast for cash. So these guys are constantly running ads online. And if somebody types into Google, you know, sell my home for cash, you know, they're ranking at the top. The person submits their information to PPL provider. PPL provider then sells that to whoever is bidding up on that specific area. But then they also are selling it over and over and over again. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, why this is so interesting here is that Right around Christmas, the FCC stepped in and said, hey, we're going to put some regulations in place here that are going to have profound impact on PPL selling, not just for our side, but also for the mortgage industry and a whole host of other industries. What the federal guidance said was that, first of all, for people's information, if somebody is going to submit their information, the consumer now gets to choose who my information goes to. So I can pick, you know, this company, this company, but it's not going to everybody. In addition to that, if you really understand how these PPL guys were making a lot of their money, they were reselling leads over and over and over again. It was really a cash cow, right? The federal guidance also said, guess what? You can no longer resell leads. So what's going to happen? Well, strict enforcement from the government is going to start taking place in April and May. Mm. So for all these people that are buying PPL, that cost per lead is going to skyrocket and go through the roof to the point where they're not going to be able to afford it. Now, you could argue that the quality of those leads is probably going to go up, mm. but that industry is going to fundamentally change. And so if we follow kind of the, the path that I've laid out here, texting went away. We saw a drop in wholesalers. The people that remained that did not have a robust business have dumped a ton of resources into PPL. Those people are going away. And unfortunately, most of the people that utilize that resource have no clue in hell what I am talking about right now because they don't bother to read these regulations. They don't stay up on this stuff. So, so there's going to be a window of time for an opportunity for guys like yourself to gobble up that market share because less noise is leaving and going out of the system. Eli, what are you seeing in terms of uh, cold calling and, and the regulations surrounding that? I mean, I know guys that are still doing quite a bit of cold calling and- mm -hmm. You know, to the best of my knowledge, a lot of it feels illegal. Um, but uh, what are you seeing with that? Yeah, it probably is illegal. <laughs> so um, if you understand from a regulatory standpoint, you know, we've gotten to a point where we are, there's a lot of consumer rights advocacy going on. You know, we look at 10 DLC, even if something may not be federally illegal, there's a lot of industry regulation that is being applied. 10 DLC is the perfect example of that, of where the wireless carriers said, we will regulate ourselves so that the feds don't step in. Mm -hmm. So I think you're going to continue to see an acceleration to more of a consumer-centric approach from regulation that will have impacts downstream on that as well. So I would not be surprised to see that there's continued scrutiny when it comes to cold calling of who you can cold call, what you can say, and it just becomes incumbent upon the, the organization to make sure that they're aware of what changes are current in the market, what is on the horizon, and then really future-proof your business because there's going to be an opportunity, but you don't want to be left holding the bag like a lot of these people that we just talked about. So, so lead reselling is going to be just straight up outlawed. Yeah. That's wild. And that's, that's April where that, that enforcement is supposed to take, take effect. Yeah. You can go and read the FCC's uh, decision if you want to go and read on a government website. So they're planning strict enforcement to begin the April, May timeframe. 
And then when, when a consumer goes into a mortgage website or a sell my house fast website and they input their information, they're what they're going to like, there's gonna be a little drop down and be like, mm. you can share my information with bank of America and rocket mortgage, but, and that, but that's it. Like there's gonna be 10 choices and you can select the two that you're interested in sharing that information with, like affirmatively yeah. choosing. Interesting. Yeah. And so you think about who gets to play in that game, not the small, the medium sized guy. My sense is that, no. yeah, I mean, if, if if it's going to be that granular where I go into a mortgage website and, you know, maybe it's a, a big lead gen type website, there's so many of them out there, and I only want to share my data with two providers, I, I saw it more as I don't want to share my data with anyone, or yes, you can share my data with everyone. Uh, maybe it yes, will become I mean at some point more granular, but uh, yeah. So many, yeah, so many of the consumers that go into those things, they think that they're talking to a lender, right? They think they're talking to a lender and getting a quote. They have no idea that they're just giving information that's then going to be brokered out. I, that, that's the issue, right? Because then they get bumped, you know, especially particularly in the mortgage business, they get oh, bombarded. Yeah. You know, you, 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 you request a mortgage quote and then you, and then you can't get all, you can't get rid of calls for like 90 days because these guys are just blasting you with, with outreach because you've shared your information. That's where like this is. That's where the crackdown's coming from, right? Yeah, yeah. I can give you an example. Um, when my wife and I first bought our home, I, I went on to um, I won't say the company's name, but basically, you would go, you enter your home, and it's like there's home services. Like I need, you know, some you know handy work done, right? Maybe I need some gutters or something like that put up. So I enter my name, and it's like, oh, we're going to help connect you with some curated partners that are vetted and best in class partners. That was not the case. To Jack's point, my wife and I got hounded, you know, texts, calls, and, and I only needed to talk to maybe one or two guys, but I got everybody in their dog. You know, some were good, the vast majority were not. And sure. for six months, this was just like a one-day project, and I'm still right. being inundated for six months after the fact. So this is where this type of regulation starts to come into place because of those types of experience from a consumer standpoint. That's super interesting. Yeah. So about- to your point, it's going to, it's going to, to your point, it's going to make it so that the, the a la carte lead buyer, right. Is just not, that just disappears. And so you're going to, it's, it's going to be much more of a, you run your own direct mail campaign or you don't get to play or you run your own, well, you run your own direct mail campaign, right. Or, or you're on television <laughs> or you're in like kind of like more classical media media, um, or you're just not going to be able to get leads. And yeah, that's definitely got a barrier to entry that is going to make it difficult for, uh, for smaller, smaller competitors. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, Eli, I, I, one more question I wanted to ask you, uh, before we, before we let you go, um, you know, when you read the news and you're trying to find that niche market, that niche, uh, list that you feel like, Oh, there's a real opportunity that's growing in this sort of niche. I'm just wondering uh, how how Audantic um, sort of caters to that. So lately, you know, Jack and I were talking several episodes ago about sort of the Airbnb bust that everyone has, uh, that, you know, felt like earlier, maybe about four months ago, it was kind of heavy in the news where there's certain markets around the country where, you know, you got... Uh, relatively inexperienced operators who thought they would like the real estate business discovered that they were in the hotel business and maybe their their houses aren't doing as well as they had hoped. Um, 
so I saw that as a real opportunity that may may have been emerging for targeting folks that are in that particular segment of real estate investing. Is that something that if you know I'm a guy, I want to I want to get right out on the forefront of that. Is that something that you help your users with, or no? Not specific for that instance. Um, well, I do think there is a large opportunity for that because you had a lot of people that just, oh, I'm going to do this and this is really simple. Um, unfortunately, that's not how life is. Um, so I would say, yeah, Craig, there's a massive opportunity right there for people that have purchased that type of product that don't know what they're doing, that are you know, they're playing the game faces a pain on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. um, I, I certainly think there's a large opportunity there. Um, I think the other thing that's really interesting here is, you know, where does the opportunity lie moving forward? And if we look at the market right here, you know, Fed's forward guidance here is probably three rate cuts within the year. And if you mm -hmm. look at NARS numbers, for 100 basis points drops, you have 5 million more available buyers that come into the market. So, you know, historically, from an economic standpoint, when you would have rates come up, prices would come down. That didn't really happen. And we're supply side constrained. So, if there's not a lot of product currently in the marketplace, you may be able to say that when those rates come down, the guy that was locked in at that lower mortgage rate that did not want to move to an inferior class of product because he's going to be paying 7%, well, now maybe he might move. So there's a hope that there will be some inventory that comes to market, but is it going to be, are you going to be able to get you know much of a discount on that? I don't think that's the case. Now, that's why I think it becomes even more incumbent for an operator to be constantly curating new buyers because there, mm. there's always opportunity in any market, but you have to understand what the market is telling you. If the market says this product trades at this, you have to have buyers that will empower you to buy it at that. So I do think there is opportunity moving forward, but you have to recognize what that opportunity is and be strategic about how you structure your business to cater to that opportunity. Yeah, you mentioned Richmond, Virginia earlier, and I think we have a mutual friend down there who has been targeting um, owners of uh, basically landlords who own newer landlords who own, say, 10 houses mm -hmm. and uh, are now experiencing the joys of landlording and discovering that it's not very joyful for them. And so this particular mm -hmm investor in that area was targeting that list of folks. And, and I would assume that, that uh, you might know who I'm talking about, but um, is that something that you would, you guys would like, is that the way Audanta can work for a guy who's very specialized and trying to get out on the forefront of maybe a, an opportunity? Yeah. In, in some instances, I would say yes. Um, the reason being is you always have to look at what is the total address market for that specific type of product and mm. the people that hold that product. So I'll give you an example in, in that case, as well as a, another large investor who's a, a friend of Jack and I's out in Portland. He actually lives in Phoenix now, but he came to us and said, look, I want to see anybody that's holding, you know, 10 plus units in a specific area. Generate that data set. He's like, this is awesome. It's like, you guys should sell this. And I'm like, here's the thing, man. Talk to me in five years because that doesn't turn over very much. Mm. I can't really productize that. I can generate that set because you're a buddy. You've been with us a long time. But, you know, there is opportunity in that stuff, but it's not really something that we can productize. Sure. And it's just more of something like, you know, if Jack comes to us and says, hey, could you probably do this? We probably could do that. Um, but 
those are very unique instances. And it's not something that's really, you know, we do at scale for everybody. What are you I've, laughing uh, about, Jack? <laughs> Craig, Craig, I've tried over the years. I, I've been in, been in Chris's ear like... I used to be in Chris's ear on every like four months with a new harebrained scheme based off of like some interesting opportunity. And I think that the ideas were valid, but he was like, yeah, no, that's, he's like, he'd like, he, and I'd, I'd get him right. Like Chris has got a little bit of shiny object syndrome to him. So I would, I, would, I might, you know, I could, I could get him sometimes and I'd rope him in and I'd be like, no, nah, man, this is a great idea. This is like, this is the future. And then he would eventually like, you know, calm down and realize that and, and come back, you know, realize that he was trying to run a business here and I was just trying to like, you know, toss shiny objects at him. And, uh, something that I think Audantic has done extremely well over the years is sticking to their, sticking to their core product, their core knitting, and then expanding. I think that the, you know, the, the addition of attribution and the addition yes. of buyer sonar to the core data product really kind of completes the life cycle as Eli pointed out. And they've been really, uh, impressively disciplined about, not getting distracted with chasing a bunch of shiny objects, which are valid in and of themselves, but like Eli pointed out, you know, not really a business. Yeah, and and I guess uh, as you as you're talking about that, you know, we we all wake up at night going, oh, there's this, you know, I've got a great new idea about motivated, you know, this motivated part of the market, right? And my sense is that you guys are probably already capturing that. Um, yeah. It, you know, in, in the list that you provide to, to your, your end users. Yeah. Whether it be, I mean, you know, Hey, I've got it. I've got it guys. I'm thinking of targeting Airbnb guys, or I'm thinking of targeting tired landlords. My sense is that if it's a real estate investment in a single family asset class, um, that fits the attribution model that you've put in place, that you're probably capturing a lot of those owners in that data set. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, and that's why you can never necessarily speak in absolutes because we may have an Airbnb guy that is struggling that will sell a product to an investor at a discount. Mm -hmm. Mr. Airbnb guy looks fundamentally different than our drywaller guy example earlier. Mm. Both are good targets. And that's why in some instances people really struggle when I explain this to them because they always want to whittle it down and say, okay, Eli, yeah, I got what you're saying. What are the top five things that make somebody a good target? I'm like, it doesn't work that way. We're looking at millions of pieces of data. And the only way that we're able to glean statistical relevance, you can't do it with a person, a team of people. That is why we use machine learning models to be able to effectively do this at scale to glean statistical relevance to say, Mr. Airbnb guy here, based on what's going on in his life and struggles that he's had, he will sell to an investor. Mr. Drywall over here, Based on what's going on in his life, based on the data, he will sell to an investor. They look fundamentally different, and yet both are good targets that will ultimately transact to an investor. And so yeah. I, I would love it if I could simplify it down to like, these are the top five things. But that's unfortunately, that's not how this works. Sure. So, so the, the, by the way, just to uh, just put a finer point on that, the, so the, the, the ML machine learning is going to use clustering around particular when it when it finds that there is um you know a correlation it'll it'll cluster that, that data will cluster and then it'll essentially create a profile right like it mm -hmm. the, the data creates its a profile so if airbnb sellers become a thing mm. that will emerge 
within the data as a new cluster. And then the model will then identify, hey, here are the, and here are the other ones that you should now, and, and next quarter is list, will now have a bunch of those, uh, a bunch of those kinds of individuals on it. So you won't be the first guy to buy an Airbnb off a distressed Airbnb person. But as soon as the, as soon as that trend emerges, the data will identify that trend and then add it to your list to then go, t- go, go target. So it's almost like a, it's like it's you know you, you don't have to come up with a whole harebrained schemes right like you come up with an idea you mail it and you get bubkiss because you're wrong or you're early right you're either wrong or you're early mm-hmm. usually the two things right and that doesn't do you any good this approach kind of avoids that right like as soon as it becomes a thing it'll be in, it'll be in your wheelhouse it'll be on your list uh, and you don't have to be the one who's coming up with the new novel theory of motivated selling, given the economic conditions. The data will just send you to the to that cluster as it, as it emerges. Yeah, and that's where you know if you think back to how we we opened our conversation in the first episode, we talked about how we basically monitor every single real estate transaction on a daily basis that's occurring within the U.S. By ingesting that data, that is always feeding back into the model to glean exactly what Jack just described. Eli, how many uh, how many users are on the platform right now? So we don't work with everybody. Um, we don't want to be a prop store or a batch. You know, we have about two hundred and fifty you know clients that are what we consider probably the top one percent within the marketplace, mm-hmm. best in class operators. Because the thing is, you know. You can have best-in-class data, but if you can't act upon it because you don't have good systems and processes, this is not a resource for you. Um, our founder, who you guys are, are good friends with, he's got a favor saying. It's like, look, man, we make Jordans. That doesn't necessarily make you Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, I love that. He's, so okay. so what he's you're saying wrong. is not wrong. So you're, you're saying 250 users across the country, which means that in any given market or MSA, you you may only have just a few users that you're mm-hmm. um, that you're allowing onto the platform. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's great. Well, you know, I've always said that uh, real estate investors need data. Great real estate investors need even better data. And it's been a real pleasure to talk with you, Eli, and l- learn more about Audantic. Jack, this has been a fantastic conversation. Yeah, Eli, thanks a lot for, for joining. Really enjoyed it, man. Thank, thank you very much. Eli, why don't Appreciate you, you uh, give us, uh, if folks want to learn more about Audantic, how can they find out um, and, and reach out? Yeah, real simple. Um, you just basically can go to our, our website, uh, audantic.com, and there's a submit uh, get information form. And basically, we'll just have a, a conversation, uh, basically market consult. Like I usually... What I'll show people is just like, okay, well, what, what is your business? What do you do? Okay, cool. Here's a total addressable market in your area. Here's what people pay. And here's where, you know, we may be able to be a resource for you. So um, no obligation or anything like that. I think, you know, giving people a better understanding of what's actually happening in their marketplace and then saying, okay, here's where the opportunity lies. Here's how we can potentially make this optional or operational for you. And then, yeah, just visit us at the site and happy to be a resource for anybody. And it's, uh, it's A-U-D-A-N-T-I-C, audantic.com. Yeah, audantic.com. Well, Eli, thank you so much for taking the time. Really appreciate it. You've given us so much of your time today. Um, really, thank you so much. It's been, it's been a genuine pleasure to learn about uh, what you guys are doing over there. Appreciate you guys. Thank you. All right, guys, this has been 
Real Investor Radio with Craig Fuhr and Jack Bevere. Fantastic couple of episodes. Tune in for the next. We'll see you soon.